Okay, I think we've got a couple of other people that may still come, but we might we might begin, otherwise we'll run out of time. Um, I think I know everybody, but my name is Susan Lamarca, for those of you that don't know me. Um, I apologise for my voice, hopefully it won't get out. It's a little bit croaky. Does it sound kind of sultry and husky? <laughs> something, something like that. Well, let's go with that, but I, I think I'm probably ill, but anyway, it's all good. Uh, so I would like to begin the afternoon um, just by acknowledging that today's reading forum is being held in the lands of the Wurundjeri people, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners of the land. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past and present and to Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. I would also like to acknowledge the significance to the traditional owners of the world of stories. So a very important thing to say, I think. So we are here for our last reading forum of the year. Um, I hope it didn't inconvenience any of you to move it to the different venue. Um, some of you who have been to the Dream Factory before will, will know that it's a really interesting space and a great space to be in. Um, but they are still driving piles into the ground directly outside the front window to build the new freeway that's going in the front of the building. Um, so that was one concern and then they decided that we've been told that they're going to renovate the floor where we had our offices and the renovations were probably going to be starting this week. In fact they actually haven't. But I was really worried that there would be renovating going on and the pile driving outside the window. Um, and for those of you that don't also know, the Slab's office is also in the process of moving. And so we are actually moving to a new office, at the same, all happening at once, um, at the convent in Abbotsford. Oh, wow. Which actually should be really exciting. So the next time we have something like this, we may even be at the convent, which will be lovely. So for all of those many reasons, I thought it was easier just to move this evening. And uh, it's wonderful that Carrie, Anna and Rebecca are also fantastic. But they just said, yes, that's fine, we can, we can accommodate you. So, so very pleased to be here. So that's why it happened and I hope that none of you were too inconvenienced by the move. Um, I just wanted to say um, that we are certainly going to be having a reading forum series in 2020. Uh, again, as we have done this year, so there'll be one event every term. I'm even toying with the idea of now that we're going to be at the convent, maybe we might have more than one, but we'll see how we go. Uh, that's what, those are the kinds of things I think of doing, and then I, you know, then there's this number of hours in a day. But, um, but certainly 2020. Um, so, if you've got any ideas at all for topics that you'd like us to cover, uh, speakers that you think we should have, please do let me know. I'm very keen to always hear your ideas. We will begin the year with our showcase again, um, and those of you that have been coming for a while will know that uh, for the last couple of years we've been doing a primary showcase as our first reading forum, where we've allowed publishers to talk about what's new. Um, from the beginning of next year, we're going to expand that slightly and make it a uh, prep to year eight. So it'll cover that middle years, early secondary as well. So we're going to allow the publishers to talk about that early secondary area too, which I think will just give the, um, the showcase that little bit more scope. Last year we had eight publishers speaking about what was new and it was just fantastic. So hopefully you can join us for that. The others are still, you know, I'm not quite sure what we're going to be doing. Um, so please do let me know if you have any ideas at all. This afternoon we're here for graphic novels, or comic books, or whatever you want to call them. I'm not really, you know, depends on who you're speaking to, doesn't it, um, as to who, what it all means. We have three wonderful speakers, four if you include the wonderful Kristen from the Kids Bookshop. But um, Liz Campbell first from Thornbury High, Rebecca from here, Kerry. Um, Bernard Cleo has joined us um, as a creator and a commentator, and then we'll have our usual... Um, Ten books in ten minutes from Kristen. Though this time live, Kristen. 
live. I don't know if you were here last time. I remember we had Kristen via video because she was in she was in France, wasn't she? Oh, you know, it would be wonderful. So, ten books in what? Ten books in two minutes. Okay, ten books in two minutes. Okay. Um, so that's our that's our uh, our agenda for the afternoon. Um, it's a lovely. It's a lovely. I'm not going to say small. I mean, I suppose it is a small group. It's not like a giant conference. So I'm sure our uh, speakers wouldn't mind if you ask questions and um, we have a bit of interaction going on. It's always lovely to hear from what you have to say. So we're going to talk um, certainly first with Liz about that secondary environment at Thornbury High School. So welcome, Liz. Thank you. Right, I'm going to keep it informal, maybe even sit down in the hot seat, the story time seat. I'm Liz Campbell and I'm the head librarian uh, at Thornbury High School, started there this year um, and prior to that I was just over there at Carey Senior School. Okay. So graphic novels at my school, I doubt anyone here has possibly ever visited Thornbury High, anyone been? Yeah, okay, fantastic. Um, but I thought I'd tell you a little bit about um, my school and my collection. So um, at Thornbury High we have um, a library collection of around somewhere between 20,000 to 25,000 books. It's a pretty big, big collection. Um, and that includes over 2,000 graphic novels. Um, and I have currently, I think, over 50 different manga series at the moment. So that picture there where you see those shelves, um, that's maybe half of my manga collection. It's a really huge, huge manga collection. Um, and in terms of our community, um, we're a school of over a thousand students from year seven to 12. Um, and I think we're considered to be a school that is quite diverse um, in, in all kinds of ways, um, as well as we have a reputation for being quite an inclusive school as well. So that's us. Um, so I often get asked, why so much manga? You know, why do you have so many graphic novels? And I think that that question comes about maybe because of quite a few common misconceptions about graphic novels. Um, you know, you, you hear that graphic novels, are, you know, they're just not complex enough. Um, you know, teachers are saying they're too short, there's not enough words in them. Um, and, uh, you know, particularly with the manga, um, and, and also the superhero style sort of graphic novels as well, that there's too much mature content, they're too sexy, they're too violent, that kind of thing. So um, I think we need to start busting and de debunking some of those myths there. Um, you know, if, if graphic novels are not, are not complex enough, um, I mean, what about something like haiku? You know, haiku wouldn't be a thing, it's very simple. Um, uh, graphic novels, um, you know, not enough words. Um, you know, are we going to throw out all our poetry books? Do they, you know, they don't have enough words. Um, and in terms of mature content, I, I sort of feel that my art book collection has a whole lot more nudity in that. Um, and as do my, my history books have, um, you know, depictions of war in them um, and actual real violence um, as well. I, I, 
I personally believe that my graphic novels don't contain any more or any less um, mature content than probably the rest of my fiction collection. Um, so I like to try and keep clear in my mind what the value of graphic novels are um, to my school. And for me, I think they really engage reluctant readers wanting kind of more edgy and alternative sort of themes. Um, my school's very diverse. Um, um, and for example, um, instead of doing a, a school, a school play as a school production this year, they did a, um, a, a horror film, a, a zombie film they called Thorn of the Dead. It was a, <laughs> so cool, it was a, um, a zombie ro romantic comedy horror. <laughs> so kind of zom, rom, com, horror. Um, um, because film is very strong at my school. So, you know, um, that's the kind of student I've got. Um, and, you know, they like zombies, they like horror, they like edgy kind of alternative sort of um, things. And I think that graphic novels in particular um, come from a tradition where they, they um, you know, ex explore those sort of uh, boundaries, I guess. Um, also, I think graphic novels are really good for um, having, um, you know, more culturally diverse characters as well. Um, I think that... Um, uh, fiction novels, um, you, you know, I think there's just more awareness now that we need diverse books. Um, so I think that's becoming um, better um, in our general sort of fiction collections um, that publishers are, are recognising we need more diverse books. But I think that graphic novels have always been much better um, at that traditionally as well, in my opinion. Um, Graphic novels have such an amazing visual appeal. That's really enticing. That's pretty obvious. Um, but I sort of see my graphic novels as impulse buys. Um, my um, school library has um, adjoining classrooms and also within the library itself has two classroom spaces. So I have a lot of students sort of coming in and out between classes um, and they love to pick up a graphic novel on their way in and out. And then they're returning it at lunchtime. I think, how did you read that so quickly? I think you were reading that in class, but okay, I'll turn a blind eye to that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're very much um, great impulse buys. Um, and um, also our graphic novels are obviously, um, you know, very series-based, so um, they're just great for, to get students hooked on, on books, um, you know, because once they start, they can't stop. And we know that the quantity of books that students read, you know, that really improves literacy um, as well. So that's why I love graphic novels. But how do we convince everybody else of that? How do I promote graphic novels? Okay, so um, one way was um, we created this um, manga for beginners sort of poster. Uh, some super keen um, manga readers um, and um, I don't protest to be um, the biggest expert um, on graphic novels so I just asked the students, you know, um, what can we recommend um, for students who want to get into manga um, and they came up with um, these, these titles here. Um, so I'll just um, uh, actually just pass it round, sure. and you can have a look at that. Um, and then we made that up um, using Canva. Familiar with that one? Um, and I found students were really keen to actually talk um, about graphic novels in general. Sometimes I start conversations with students, um, you know, when they come to the circulation desk. Oh, how did you enjoy this book? Um, and um, they're not always so responsive. 
Um, but uh, when it comes to graphic novels, they love, love, love talking about them. So I found that a really easy way to um, get some recommendations um, there. Um, another thing I do is do um, book presentations um, and recommendations uh, within wide reading classes. Um, and there I'm presenting to the students, um, but really I'm also presenting to the teachers. Um, they really enjoy hearing about new books generally. Um, and I think um, including some graphic novels within that um, gets, um, a, or gives teachers a, um, that may not be familiar with um, these particular titles, um, more information about you know themes and character development and just a greater understanding um, of how valuable graphic novels can be. Um, location, location, location. Um, my manga are placed right by my circulation desk um, in full view of everyone. Um, and uh, I did toy with the idea of maybe moving them because I thought, oh, perhaps I should, you know, put my new release fiction books um, in that sort of area. Um, but actually I found um, that that has really helped with the impulse buy. They're like my lollies in kind of the checkout <laughs> to the counter, <laughs> you know, um, there, that they get picked up really well. And I think that, um, you know, where we place books in our collection, um, kind of reflects, um, you know, the value we put on them as well. So I think, you know, we should kind of consider if you've got your graphic novels, um, you know, in a dusty corner somewhere, um, you know, what does that say about how we value them? Um, I also use graphic novel adaptations to encourage students to read widely. So um, there's some great um, adaptations of, you know, um, Shakespeare, there's ones of um, uh, popular fiction series like, you know, um, <coughs> Percy Jackson and Alex Ryder and, and um, you know, a number of different adaptations out there. Um, and I recommend those um, to students who want to, um, to try graphic novels, give them something different. Um, but then I also <coughs> recommend um, them two students who are also already reading a lot of graphic novels and um, just letting them recognise that they they are reading um, books that you know have the same value as as the fiction books um, in my in my fiction section you know same great characters same storyline in the format of a of a graphic novel um, and another thing I do is. Um, curate graphic novels for our English teachers um, who are um, teaching um, visual literacies as part of the curriculum. I think wherever you can link your, your books to part of the curriculum is always going to, um, you know, give it more validation. Okay. So, cataloguing graphic novels, bending the rules. I love my cataloguing. I'm a little bit pedantic, but I do like to bend the rules when it comes to graphic novels. So, uh, one of the things um, I did... Um, at Kerry was in the senior school was um, uh, change the spine levels of the classification. So um, when you've got your, your Marvel and your DC characters, so your superhero style characters, um, you might find in your collection that they're often written by different authors. So they can be all over the place. But we know, well I think anyway, a lot of readers go, I like Batman, 
I like Spider-Man. So what we did was, um, if we used the um, F prefix for fiction, that was the, um, the way there, and then BAP for Batman, or SPI for Spider-Man, and that allowed all of those graphic novels about that particular character to sit together. You just kind of have to keep it consistent if you're going to do something like that, of course. So um, The other thing um, we did at the Carey Senior School was um, sort of break up our graphic novel collection um, into sort of almost like sub-genres, I guess. So we had our indie graphic novels all together, our classic comics, so it could be, you know, your Asterix and your Garfield and, and um, some of those all together. Uh, we had a separate um, section for the, the senior fiction graphic novels. Yeah, and that kind of thing, so that's an idea. Okay, acquisitions. The minefield of series and arcs. Uh, <coughs> Skiss records are, have improved a lot, but they will only catalogue, um, you know, a, a series um, if it's explicitly stated in there. You know, it's, it's that true cataloguing of, of um, cataloguing with the book in hand. Um, so I find series really hard to... Um, to work out what I need to, to buy. So um, I always use, you know, ask your booksellers, shop local, um, and recognise that, you know, each series that you're going to buy is going to be a really serious um, sort of investment. Um, you're going to have to keep um, replacing um, volumes ongoing. Um, and some of the series can be quite long, so they're, they're quite a serious investment. Okay, determining the age suitability of graphic novels. Um, the visual nature of graphic novels means that mature content may be more easily recognisable than in other types of books, I think, if you open, if you open them up. Um, there's not, probably not really any way around it, just like you will with any of your other books, you, you, you've got to read them. You've got to skim those illustrations and, and, and the content of them. Um, at Thornby High we use OT stickers for older teens um, and we also have a written consent form so that the younger students can um, read um, those graphic novels for older, older teens um, if they so wish. Um, one of the first things I did was create a challenge materials um, policy as well. Um, uh, Madman Entertainment is an Australian company um, online and they have a help section which gives you a really good um, explanation of their manga classification descriptions which they've taken from um, some of the classifications from publishers called um, Tokyo Pop and Viz Media, we're popular publishers of manga um, and that's a good place to look if you're wondering um, uh, how to classify your manga. You may even notice some of those symbols on the back of your manga as well, if you take a look near the um, ISBN. Right. Thanks very much for having me. Please come take me. <laughs> some wonderful tips. Yeah. Small token. <laughs> and now we welcome Rebecca. I might just sit here. I think I'm going to sit there. Chair. <laughs> In her own wonderful library. So these are a few topics that frequently come up during discussions about graphic novels amongst educators or maybe particularly primary educators. The last point is one that Anna and I have ongoing conversations about and I think that graphic novels have a unique role in contributing to inclusive reading experiences for young children in particular which shows how they are a progressive form of literature. 
I'm going to stick to my brief, which is 15 minutes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and hopefully in that time... Give 16. No. <laughs> I'm hoping in that time we all together um, think more about graphic novels. I also imagine that we have a range of views and um, knowledge about graphic novels, so it's helpful to start by outlining our experiences. I was thinking how it would probably sound nonsensical to open a conversation with a, a group of school librarians and teachers by asking, do you like children's books or do you read children's books? Because the answers hopefully form a collective given, but probably more important when we're guiding um, primary students to be able to match books to young readers and who are still figuring out what they like. But our responses to the questions, do you like graphic novels, do you read graphic novels, might be less unified. We might have different perspectives or levels of involvement. I wonder if this is partly because the boom in publishing graphic novels for children has happened quite suddenly, really just over the last 10 years, and also because comics have a much longer history of being seen as not real books and therefore not belonging in school. Although today we, um, we know that graphic novels are mainstream, they're a growing and popular part of school libraries, and actually they aren't really used that much in the classrooms. Um, so I thought to share your thoughts and experiences with graphic novels, and being mindful that we're just going to do this for like one minute, um, could you use these questions to talk to the person next to you? Do you like graphic novels and do you read graphic novels? Thanks. <laughs> Okay. okay, I am going to, um, maybe we can continue that afterwards. Thank you. I want us to move on to consider this attitude towards graphic novels that I'm sure everyone has encountered in some form, either in others, but also perhaps a bit in ourselves. Um, sometimes the message about graphic novels from adults to children is that graphic novels are not quality <coughs> literature, they don't count as real reading because they are not challenging, they're too easy, they're quick to read, they're like junk food or dessert, they lack rigour, you don't have to think to read because of the pictures, etc. We all, we all know about that. Um, I quite like this shouty tweet that Raina Telgemeier <laughs> sent out to her 30,000 followers and the world last month. She did that in response to... Um, she was retweeting and responding to this bookseller's story. Dear teachers, a plea. Today I had a mum and daughter in buying books. The daughter desperately wanted a graphic novel, but mum refused. Honey, I'm sorry, but your teacher said I shouldn't let you read those anymore. They're too easy. She wants me to challenge you. And the result, the result was that the girl cried and they left without a book because her teacher had banned her choice in reading. We all know that adults can be wonderful and powerful allies for children to have access to books. We are those adults. Um, but adults can also be controlling gatekeepers to books. As edu educators for young readers, we can act as advocates when access to graphic novels is restricted or when graphic novels are devalued by well-meaning adults who lack understanding of the form. Sometimes, adults who really want to help young children become lifelong readers <coughs> and love reading unintentionally put children off. Um, particularly in primary school when the focus is on um, accelerating, I suppose. So it's helpful to focus our attention on their rich complexity instead and for us as educators to keep learning. There's so much more that I haven't thought about and really want to keep deepening. 
there's an emerging body of recent academic research and theory about reading literature in comic format. For example, there was an article published in April this year that looks at the cognitive activity and comprehension and how complex reading a graphic novel is. However, instead of this recent academic research, I'm going to refer to this excellent classic book from 1993 by Scott McLeod, who is a cartoonist, and it's presented in comic format. <laughs> um, so McLeod looks at graphic novels and comics as a sequential art form that really took off at the turn of the century, around the 1900s, with the invention of printing but he ventures much further into the past, following the roots of comics back to ancient Egypt. And his definition is expansive rather than narrow, explaining that comics exist in many genres, art styles and prose styles as there are, and brings these together, and that the form continues to change with new creative directions. And here's a um, really brief snapshot of elements that readers um, process to fluently read a graphic novel. So all of these and many more could be a potential focus in a literacy lesson. These elements could be identified, analysed, discussed, explained in writing, or be models for creating your own multimodal narrative. Primary students of all ages can be engaged by this explicit critical approach. We have preps talking about shapes of speech bubbles and sizes of fonts and motion lines. Recently, Year Sixes were performing panels in front of the class. However, when it comes to the library and supporting primary students as readers, graphic novels are very a unique collection for a very important reason, and that is that they are such a popular choice for many children when it comes to reading for pleasure, and therefore should be encouraged by teachers and parents. So there are lots of positives positive findings about graphic novels, supporting reading for pleasure for all kinds of students. For reluctant readers, graphic novels are less daunting than pages of unbroken writing and illustrations, scaffold and um, comprehension and vocab for EAL slash D and struggling readers. Um, last week I was telling Anna that a year six student who really lacks confidence in herself as a reader came in glowing to tell us that she had read 170 pages of a book. It happened to be um, a graphic novel be prepared. She really needed that boost in her confidence. She needed it, that successful experience. And yesterday before school, she came in to tell me that she'd finished it and she loved reading. And I'm sure that it's not going to be this straightforward positive trajectory. <laughs> but, um, but it was great to, to see that, that effect of reading a graphic novel. Um, Anna recently offered Year Fives in our book chat program, which is, which is like a, a book club. Um, she paired the choice of reading Percy Jackson the novel with reading Percy Jackson the graphic novel or reading both. Okay. Um, advanced readers can be enriched by the complex narratives in graphic novels. They have high level vocab and they can deepen student metacognition <coughs> of how the interplay of words and images make meaning. Um, we have a particular interest in building our collection of children's literature that includes the authentic representation of underrepresented and misrepresented communities, stories that include marginalised cultural identities, LGBTQI plus rep disabilities, because of how powerful this can be for children. Um, Professor 
Rudin Sims Bishop is a notable early figure in the field of critical scholarship in multicultural literature. Here is a quote, quote from her groundbreaking essay about books as mirrors, windows and sliding glass doors that explains part of this metaphor. So we're also saying graphic novels are an important contribution to primary readers' access to stories that support positive self-identity, social diversity, equity and cohesion. You can actually um, look up a YouTube video of um, Professor Bishop um, explaining, explaining this. Um, I've brought in a few titles of inclusive books if you want to have a browse of the kinds of graphic novels out there. Our collection here is always in circulation, so I thought it would be better to play it safe and bring them in from home. I've picked out some graphic novels for 10 plus that have LGBTQI plus rep created by authors who belong to these communities. And I've picked out some graphic novels that have main characters who represent people of colour. Um, one of my favourites is Meg, Joe, Beth and Amy that was published this year. Um, it's a retelling of Little Women and it includes intersectional marginalised identities. So for finding graphic novels for primary readers, um, these are just my personal tips really. For me, social media has been a great way to keep up to date with new graphic novels. Um, everyone, I guess, has a preferred social media platform. For me, Twitter is fantastic. There are a lot of children's literature focused teachers, librarians, scholars, publishers, authors, and creators on Twitter. It's like a constant PD tailored to your interests. Um, and it's also worth noting that a lot of graphic novel creators and authors share their work in progress on social media, on Instagram or Twitter, so students can see work in progress and how long it takes. Um, but everyone can find a social media platform that, that suits them. It's been um, one of my key ways of finding up-to-date texts. Um, and I thought I'd also, also mention that there are <coughs> online webcomics freely available. There are some for primary students. Um, these are a couple that are online and then often publishers spot them and turn them into um, print books. So I'm trying to build a list of that for us to use. Um, Two minutes, Rebecca. Yep, thank you. And a quick note on finding graphic novels for earlier primary years because there does seem to be so many more for year four, fives and sixes. Um, this is just my anecdotal research. Toon books are really good. They specifically publish comics for younger readers. There are lots of titles. The website has lots of resources and interactive resources. There are some, there's a bucket, I think that um, middle bucket is um, prep to year two graphic novels. And also just keeping an eye out, there are a bunch of graphic novels for younger readers um, and I'd also welcome suggestions for, for that age group as well. Thanks. Thank you, Rebecca. May I give you the Thank you. small token of our appreciation? <clears throat> With the last of my voice, I think I might say something about Bernard because I... I've got all these words here. Oh no, just Should say. I say something about you? Just, uh, say. Bernard has been making comic books for 30 years. Oh, the back of your way. Can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 years? Well, yeah. It's very tiring, too. Yeah. I can stop. I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome, Bernard. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
Oh, great. Thank you very much. And you have your own thing. Um, so thanks uh, for having me uh, here to talk to, to you. Uh, it's, a, it's a great honour, um, um, particularly because I um, I found, so my, yes, my name's Bernard Calio, and I found comics uh, in, a, in a library. We'll get to that in, in a minute. Um, it's also uh, wonderful because at the moment I find that I'm making comics in one part of my life, but also through Booked Out, who's, uh, I'm sure you know as a booker of speakers, I do a lot of work in schools like Ivanhoe Girls, for example. Uh, and at the moment, over in at, at, um, at Year 7, uh, Kerry, so a lovely uh, coordinator called Demi Vulgaris has got me coming in working with the Year 7s, and they're, they're talking about multimodal tech. And so they get, those kids will get a, a chance to make a, an illustrated book or a movie or a comic. And um, Demi's got me to, in to, to, to each of those um, classes uh, for one session and to introduce that uh, uh, modes of approaching multimodal texts of which I would, you know, as a totally unbiased uh, 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 representative say that comics are the best <laughs> form. Um, well, actually, best is, 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 is I, think, I think actually they're the most complex um, of, of those, of illustrated books, um, film. I just think there's a lot, a lot going on, both in the reading uh, of, of comics, but particularly in the production of comics um, texts, uh, which I'm really, I think if I have a uh, mission, uh, it is to, to try and uh, give that to as many kids as I can, uh, that sense of the energy of making of making comics, which is a different sort of energy than a, than a, than a, than a writing story energy. All right, I'm, I'm going to verbal on, um, but I've got to got to keep to the to the thing. Uh, uh, I'd like to also acknowledge that we are on Aboriginal country, um, uh, and this country was dreamed and spoken, uh, uh, sung in the Bunwarang and Woiwarang languages, uh, and I want to show this picture here, which is by my favourite Australian cartoonist. So, uh, Tommy McRae was born in 1835 on the Murray River. And for me, even though, because of the year when he produced this, 1880, uh, comics, uh, as Rebecca pointed out, really come in the, in the first years of the 20th, uh, I think this is a beautiful, beautiful comic. Uh, even though there are not boxes around these two, these two pictures, Tommy McRae, uh, so grew up um, traditionally, but then was given a, a pen and a, a notepad. This is a really small piece of paper. You can see the lines on it probably would have been that, that big. Uh, and this is Hunting Emu, it's known as, this picture. Uh, I'd like to show this to, well, I'd like to show this to you uh, now, but I'd also like, like to show it to kids uh, who I talk to because of the simplicity of the drawings, but the complexity, the complexity and the simplicity. This sort of dance, this part of dirt that the comics continually uh, um, perform is is their is their power or one of their sources of power. Uh, so I won't go into taking all this, this, these two pictures apart, but yeah, I see this is a panel, and this is a panel, and one of my messages to kids and to you now is that comics start when there are two panels, and there are two panels, and there is the gap between, and once there's a gap between, then we are reading. We are going. Here's the first picture panel here. I need, I am requested, I am invited by the author, by the drawer, to connect those two together. And uh, uh, Tommy McRae, uh, in 1880, was putting this, he was telling 
he was telling space. He was telling space. He was telling country. Um, and uh, he, he was telling people and culture. He was telling landscape and um, animal. Uh, and I think this is the invitation to our students as well, that they can tell their country, that they can tell their culture in this pictorial way, uh, which I think is very, very nuanced. Um, okay, um, I'm just going to keep uh, moving, but um, uh, so here, here is what I found first um, in a library <laughs> at the top of um, High Street, uh, uh, Rucker's Hill in, in, in High Street. Uh, I actually found uh, Secret of the Unicorn first. That was the first Tintin that I ever found. And, and it blew my mind, uh, at least reading back into that moment, like from now, I, I think that what happened was I came in there going, I know where the wild things are and there are words and there are pictures and they, you know, they, they, they stay very, they, they're not very promiscuous. In comics, promiscuity reigns. The words go in and the pictures go in and they're mixing and they're, you know, getting it, getting it on, you know. Uh, and I was just like, I was very um, stimulated. It was extremely stimulating. And I think that, that, so this is when, you know, I was five and now 40, whatever it is, six years later. Uh, but yeah, Tintin is still a go-to. But the beautiful story about this particular Tintin story, which I really want to tell, is that, of course, in Tintin in Tibet, that halfway through the 20 books of the Tintin series, uh, Herge, the creator, very, very worried man, very distressed, he's breaking up with his wife, the, the, over, the, the requirements of the Tintin studio are pressing down on him, he, he goes to a friend and he says, oh mate, mate, I'm going to give it up, I can't do Tintin anymore, and this guy goes, you know, no, you know, I want to read the next book, uh, so he's, he's, he's got to save Herge, and he's, he's a friend, and so Herge says, oh, my dreams are terrible, all I can see is white. Terrible. Oh, that's bad. A dream of white is like, you've got no ideas and you're a loser. <laughs> and the friend, who's a good friend, says to Herge, no. Include the white in the next book. Bring the white in. And then, of course, in Tintin in Tibet, you know, there are these great snowfields of Tibet, this, this element of it. So I wanted to tell this story because I want to offer to you that even Tintin, you know, escapist, beautiful adventure story. Um, this man, in this case, he, he, he is in each of the lines that is, that is drawn. Um, I don't have a picture of, of um, uh, peanuts today, but peanuts. Mm -hmm. So we have this image of peanuts. There's happiness as a warm puppy, and it's all squeezy and lovely. The first strip of Tintin, uh, 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 peanuts in, in 1950 is... Hey, here comes, here comes Charlie Brown. Ah, Charlie Brown, what a great... You know, Charlie Brown's walking along, these two kids are talking about him. Oh, there he goes, Charlie Brown. Oh, Charlie Brown. Ah, Charlie Brown. Last panel, how I hate him. And that is the essence of the entirety of the Peanuts run for me. Charlie Brown, you know, he's lonely and he's teased and he's anxious, all those things. It's really, I think, brilliantly... And... and, and Biographies of, of Schultz bear this out. You know, it's, it's a, a working through of a, of a very vulnerable state. But again, we have this picture of it as the comics, you know, haha. But as we know again with Mouse, if you know Mouse by Arch Spiegelman, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's in comics form, but that's the worst event that 
humanity has maybe ever, ever faced, you know, and he's working it through uh, comics, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so I th what am I saying there? I'm saying that comics, this idea of comics as, as dealing with difficult material or being uh, 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 mature content, <coughs> I love that thing about mature content, I think they are mature content. You know, they are, they, and, and we have this slippage in our recognition of comics, you know, it's all, you know, we, we, we're still, I, I'm still, you know, and I've been doing it for a long time, is this thing of, oh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's deep and disturbing stuff, and occasionally, or can be, um, but we have an expectation for it not, not to be. I think that still exists, even back here, in the, yeah, in the, um, in the back brain. Um, okay, so there's one of the other things I wanted to say today for, uh, to you uh, is that the, the multi-form literacy that, that comics require of us mean that we are um, forming, I don't know even how to say this, and we're still working out how to talk about comics or, or write about comics, but the, you sort of build this sort of hologram space in your mind, as you do, of course, with the words-only book. But in a comic, you're assembling it out of different material. I think comics could, should come with a sticker on the front that's saying, some assembly required. You know, like, 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 a, like, a, like, a, like a kit, something like that. You know, because, it, and, and this is the part of this complexity as well, we're, we're, we're putting together these things here, sweat drops. Some people love to call them emanata. Emanata, you know. Uh, so little swirls the tinting, uh, that uh, Hergé uses. It's a very complex assembly process that's, um, that's, being, that's being performed uh, as, as we read comics. Um, so I just want to talk a bit briefly now about stuff that I um, have been doing, I suppose. So uh, this is a big compilation that I edited for Alan and Unwin called the Tango Collection and it includes, as you can you maybe see, that all those different heads are all the different not all of them, but uh, a lot of the different authors who are complete, com, com, co collected in this, um, in this collection. Uh, lots of short strips, one page, five page, ten page strips. Because uh, part of my mission is to present comics back to, particularly what's happening in Australia, what's happening to, to us, to you, to say that uh, there is this, it's not an industry, uh, I don't think, because there's just not enough um, of an audience, really, uh, in Australia. But there is certainly a culture, uh, and uh, your, our job, mine and yours, uh, can be to, to support that. So um, made this uh, documentary, um, and in this documentary, me and the, um, the filmmaker went and visited people in their studios and said, oh, you're doing a comic book about racism in Australia. Talk to us about that. And so we, uh, so and then we took this... Uh, documentary, which is about 70 minutes um, around the world. We took it to Angoulême uh, in en France, the, the great heart of comics BD culture. Uh, and uh, we showed it at Angoulême, which for me, you know, before that moment, I'd, I'd only ever read about Angoulême and then to, to make the, this, this sort of, it's not so much a, a, a film, it was more like a passport, passport to get into Angoulême, you know, to say, and to be saying to them, look, we do, we do comics stuff. You do, you do comics. You have an industry in, in France. You have an industry in Japan, obviously. Um, but we are doing stuff in this country, in, in Australia, and it, it, 
people only people can only do it because they love it, because that's the only that's that that's the that's the return. You know, that's the yeah. Um, one of the things that I like to do uh, at schools is to talk about zines as a way into comics, as a way of pr producing comics, as a way of practicing comics. Uh, and so this is a little zine that I, um, an issue of a zine that I've made. And now, I'm going to do this experiment, really, where I'm going to read you a comic, uh, or perform you a comic, uh, that I made last year um, called The Potter's Point. Cross-eyed point Ventnor, Phillip Island, the late 1960s. Everyone got a drink? Good, because I'm going to tell you a ghost story. Ooh, Eric, is it a true story? Of course. So, I've lived here now for 10 years, one year in a tent, on animal furs with a wind-up gramophone. <laughs> Eric Juckett is a potter. He's built his home and studio on the point. The little sign says Eden Rock. He's made a garden. How about those uh, tomatoes, Eric? Mine will ripen before yours do, Greg. <laughs> He's raised an aviary. Who's an eclectus parrot then? You are. You are. Keeps a menagerie. Ah, you cheeky monkeys. <laughs> and hosts glorious dinners. And the point is named after Captain Grossard. Barry Humphreys, Jan Badans, Paul Cox, Wendy Hughes, who came here in 1868 for a shooting party that went bung. Bang! Oops. Ow! Sorry. Idiot. And made his dying wish. Please, please. Want a ciggy? No. A drink? No, no. Please bury me. Where? Here. Idiot. Well... Over the past century, the point has crept closer and closer to Grossard's lonely grave. 1868, cliff line. 1968, <laughs> cliff line. One night, I was walking by the grave and... Ruff, ruff! What's that, boy? Oh, look here. I presume this bone's connected to the hip bone and uh, so on. Ah, alas, Captain Grossard. I never knew him, Horatio. And so, I buried him further south along Grassside Point. But sometime later, I was sitting at this very table, alone. You moved me. Well, well, what did you expect? I'm an artist. <laughs> now, another drink. Cheers, Eric. Vale, Eric Juckett, Potter, 1918 to 2004. Lived and worked at Grossard Point, Ventnor, 1959 to 2004. Um, so I produced this um, for the city of Melbourne, um, who were doing things about different places in Victoria. Um, how, where, are, where are we with time, Susan? Uh, it's 5.35. You've got 15. Oh, perfect. Really? 15. I'm dreadful with... Yeah, 15. Great. That's really good. Sorry. No, it's good. Yeah, 15. Um, and uh, <coughs> so 
and this was um, made to be read on online. But what I've not, this is really about my what I'm, my work is at the moment. But I've found that uh, I am making more comics that are to be performed, um, which connects with a uh, an art form that I've uh, um, come across over the last few years called kami shibai, which is a Japanese form of storytelling, which has really sort of, it's like a fossil of anime and manga. It's from the 30s. It was a street performance form. Uh, I performed it here, actually, in this, in this room, on, on this spot uh, for lovely students. Um, and it uses a, a box, a wooden box, which opens up like an envelope, and you take out one image, and, and you have a series of images that tell that, uh, that are the story, and but that it relies on narration. There's no writing on the pictures, um, and I uh, think that this way of telling uh, stories for me is it's still sequential image um, and storytelling. Uh, but this performance aspect of it is very much, very, very dear to me. Uh, so um, I was just saying to Michelle, Michelle before that, uh, the current project I'm working on, on, which is set in Melbourne in the 1880s, I'm very fond of historical stories, um, will probably have this sort of form about it, I think. And then maybe bec will become a graphic novel. Or a, but um, as a person who comes from theatre, uh, I like the ability to the live um, and, and also to be a focusing on one image at a time. So this is the story that uh, I'm working on at the moment. It's about a production of the opera Faust uh, taking place in Melbourne in 1888, the height of the boom. Um, and one of the characters uh, uh, is Alfred Deacon. Um, and a very wonderful and, and provocative statement which was made about Deacon um, in, in 1887 was, every democracy needs a deity, uh, which is, I think, beautiful rub about it and uh, um, a, a, yeah, a powerful provocation to, 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 to us. Um, let me show you um, some work by, um, who are, by, by other cartoonists who are friends, I suppose, and, and colleagues. Uh, the wonderful Mandy Ord, uh, who lives in uh, Eltham. Uh, and I suppose I, I'm certainly showing these next few people to say, you know, these are great people to have come and talk. You know, and Mandy particularly, she's a lovely uh, teacher, person, um, and um, her style is extremely distinctive. This is her... There's a double-page spread from the book Rooftops, and uh, she's in, she's, they've gone to see um, Ghostbusters, at a, uh, a screening at the rooftop uh, cinema in, in, in town. And each page has two, two panels. And she inks all of her work with a, a brush and ink. And so it's, it's, you know, it's really you know, a craft sort of background. She's, and she is from a fine arts, fine arts background. Uh, and at the moment, she's a, a, in, a, at a fruit, in a fruit selling uh, background. Right? That's her job. Uh, so all comic book makers uh, in Australia have sort of uh, day jobs. Um, uh, <laughs> this guy here, Pat Grant. Uh, so, th yeah, that, 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 all these, I suppose, these are all secondary books for secondary. I do have some books to show by locals, which are, are um, for younger readers in a moment. Uh, Blue by Pat Grant 
Uh, this is the chap who did the graphic novel. This is a graphic novel, uh, and it is online, which you can read it, read it for free there online. And Pat is a surfer in New South Wales. He found himself at uh, Cronulla Beach in 2006 on the day of the race riots there. Very disturbing uh, to him and, and all of us. Uh, and he's processed that experience through comics. So he's done a, an autobiographical strip called Waiting for Something to Happen, where he sort of just reports on the energy in the air that day, the, the, the incipient sort of feeling of something going to happen. But then he's transformed it into this much more fictional book um, uh, called Blue, about the arrival of the blue people in a small um, village by the sea, uh, Australian village by the sea. Here are the blue people here, looking pretty nervous, as you can see. Um, and uh, it's got the best swearing of any comic I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, that's a good recommend, uh, as well as the content being, you know, Strong and again, this idea I suppose I'm wanting to reiterate and reiterate is that the the cartoonist, the storyteller, takes their experiences and they they push them out through their body, like a dancer does, like 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 a, like a theatre person does. Uh, Pat has a saying that he says that the stylus or the pen or the inking tool is you've got to think about it as a lightning rod, and it brings that down out of the head and out of the body of that artist and onto the, um, onto the page. Uh, certainly, the later pictures of uh, Charlie Brown that we look at uh, in the Peanuts run, of course, it goes for 50 years, Peanuts, every day, and then he dies, Charles looks like a couple of weeks after the last one's printed. But if you look at those last, you know, the last few years, you get this beautiful uh, shakiness in the line that, that depicts uh, all of them, really, but Charlie Brown, of course, is what we look at. And that's that man's body, you know, changing. And so it registers, the lines on the page register his physical being. I think that's incredibly beautiful. Um, so Pat teaches at a university. Uh, Josh Santo Spirito uh, is a mental health nurse. Spent a long time up in Alice Springs and... Um, Adapted this, adapts this essay, The Long Weekend in Alice Springs, which is a pretty searing, just again, upper, upper secondary, I would say, work, uh, examining, teasing apart, uh, work, bless you, working with the, the, the that black-white tension uh, in, in, um, in Alice Springs. A wonderful, wonderful work. Uh, Nikki Greenberg, who lives in Fairfield, you know, uh, did an amazing adaptation of the... Uh, a great, great Gatsby, and then of course this incredible Hamlet, uh, and and more more recently is a, a book for children. Uh, you know, she's got small children, but uh, this is an incredible Hamlet as an ink blot uh, in these stories, and really she enacts a production, I would say, of Hamlet on the page. Um, so I'll leave it there with those. I'd just like to talk about up and coming people. So this is a guy called Chris Gooch. Uh, who has this book, Under Earth. This is the first volume of three. He's got some funding from Creative Victoria. So that, that is one of the great things that's happening for comics as a form, is that uh, uh, while there's not a, a great audience for Australian comics yet, uh, that you can uh, have your work supported through funding. Um, 
So Chris Gooch is, is a great, I would call him a sort of a genre writer. He's a thriller writer. He's a, he's a crime, um, a great guy. I can see Anders over there uh, on, on the screen, on the shelf over there, which is wonderful. And so this is um, uh, Gregory Mackay, wonderful local. And so these are, sorry, that was, that's an older book, Under Earth, sort of, I don't know, 16 plus. Whereas uh, uh, Anders could read it three-year-old child, you know, a uh, uh, beautiful, uh, classic, sort of clean line um, work and uh, more, and for this collection of the three adventures of Anders, it's been coloured, uh, and in, in, in classic Australian comics story, it's you know, been coloured by Gregory's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, very, it's very much cottage industry, uh, <laughs> we're running here. <laughs> um, Exactly. What is London? And these books are these these are remarkable books again by the great Alan uh, Unwin, yeah, by Trace Bella. Um, River Time, uh, set on the Glenelg River, uh, rock hopping in the Gary Word Grampians. As you can see, this one's been read to read to pieces uh, at, our, at our place. Um, wonderful sort of Quentin Blakeish sort of line that she's got, sort of going from picture book into illustrated book. Uh, very gentle uh, and funny. Um, so, yeah, beautiful. So, it's good to see that, you know, there are this, there is a, uh, amongst the local cadre of, of, of makers, uh, there's uh, this, um, both for mature readers and for, and for younger readers. And I think that uh, Alan and Unwin, who really did a lot of um, publishing of, 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 well, of Nicky Greenberg's books, for example, I think that what they found uh, really was that, again, there's this trickiness of getting uh, graphic novels, um, just the uptake necessary for a large publisher to, to, um, to, do the, um, to get the return that they needed. So, uh, um, so, so these children's ones have worked better for them. Uh, this, and this is one that I and Erica Wagner from Alan and Unwin and another friend, Elizabeth McFarlane, who teaches comics at Melbourne University, banded together and made a publisher, 12 Panels Press, and we published this book, set in, the, uh, in Alice Springs, uh, along the Lara Pinter Trail. This chap here, Jan Bauer, uh, is a German chap and from Hamburg, and he has this walk along the, the Lara Pinter Trail. And it's a romance. I would say there is a human romance in, in, in the story, but I think would say really it's a romance of, of a, an outsider, outsider in the Australian, Australian landscape. Um, and the final, I suppose I wanted to tie off there just by saying that this, this autobiographical, this turn to the autobiographical, it's been a really big part of the renaissance of comics, uh, I suppose, that we've had since, since really since Mouse, 86 and Mouse. Uh, but what is great to see uh, is that there is, and even of course these books are, these books are autobiographical um, of traces, uh, but, but there's fantasy involved in them as well. And what I think the offer is for with kids who are making comics, so I'm about to go to Xavier now and run a, a, a comic book workshop, uh, and what I'll be trying to do there tonight in the one hour that we have, it will be to get the kids to think of their lives, to draw their lives, but to bring in a super, in this particular case, a super heroic element to that, you know, going home or um, 
playing a game of football or so that sort of thing. So I think that that uh, I, I, you know, I, you know, I, I think that comics, uh, as Scott McCloud says in Understanding Comics, and he's got another great book called Making Comics, which I'd recommend. And actually, I'd get that, and I'd get Linda Barry's new book, Linda L Y N D A Barry, Linda Barry, who is a remarkable provoker of visual text, uh, American lady, uh, and her new book is actually called Making Comics as well. So you've got Scott McCloud's Making Comics. And Linda Barry's making comics. And Linda Barry is a sort of a more, I think, a more deep creative process sort of lady, d discovery sort of lady, uh, and, and McLeod is a bit more technical. So I think that they would, I, I haven't seen this, the, the Linda Barry's making comics is just released, so I don't have it yet, but I know from her previous works the way that she leads her students and me down the, down the rabbit hole of just thinking, where is this line? going to go? What's this line going to say? And, and it, so it, 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 I think she enacts a sort of a, like a rehearsal space in the space of the page. You know, so it is really a, uh, a process of discovery uh, and so thrillingly exciting um, about what, what your personal language is, your personal um, visual language, which, you know, smiley faces and stick figures are wonderful. <laughs> they're just wonderful. I can't draw. Yes, actually, it seems like you can draw. Uh, you draw me a smiley face. Oh, there, there it is. That is the smiley face that nobody else has ever drawn in the world. The way that that little, the way the little hook goes around where the, where the lines meet, uh, the way that, that one eye is lower than the other. You've just drawn, you know, it's a different category of depiction. Uh, I, I don't know how we do this, but I really want to ah, break it apart from drawing well and just go, cartooning is just like crappy drawing. <laughs> it's just like discovery, unpressured un, un uh, drawing in terms of an outcome. One so. minute. <laughs> Wonderful. So that's... Uh, oh, it's perfect timing. Uh, so that's... Um, so, uh, so my... Uh, my excitement, I suppose, about comics at the moment and, and, um, and about libraries is that... Uh, as in the 21st century, the, the libraries, you know, maintain their story of the book, um, that they're also a place of action, and probably always have been a place of action. I think one of those, uh, one of those spheres of action uh, is this discovery of voice through, through, through drawing. I think that the, the drawing implement, the pencil, is not just a lightning rod, uh, as Pacquan pa talks about, but it's also a divining rod. And so that you find deep things, and that you find, I see, what I see is people finding, finding country, finding a, a connection to land. I think that's a, that's a great gift uh, that um, our students and our people can bring to themselves. Thanks. Your time. Oh, small, small, ugly. Small thing. Great. Thanks very much. Cheers. Grab these things, Mum, and please. Are there any questions? Thank you so much. Anyone? Oh, if you have a question. Worries? <laughs> 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 All good? Thank you, Bernard. I know you might
such a busy man. Yeah, no, 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 just weird tonight. All these engagements one after another. We have Kristen from. Oh dear. Don't talk anymore. Don't talk anymore. Or I'll sit down. Everyone knows who I am now. I just wanted to. Kristen from Kids Bookshop, but some people know also that I have another job, and that job is in the publishing world with Penguin Random House. So. A couple of things I'm going to say tonight with my publishing hat on, so excuse me if I do that, because the graphic novel thing is a very interesting um, idea for publishers, but it's always been very, very difficult to make uh, graphic novels work um, from a financial point of view. They're very resource heavy, They've, they take a long time, they're often full colour, well they used to be, and so, um, you know, but we understand the demand and we understand the value, and so... I was saying to uh, Anna before that um, it's something that we are looking very closely at in terms of using the content that we have as publishers to reform format into um, graphic novels. So watch this space because Penny and Madam House are, are very keen to make sure that you've got access to good graphic novels. I wanted to mention that um, this book that Bernard I illustrated is over at the bookstore. Um, I also wanted to mention from a bookseller point of view that we had a list of the books that the speakers were going to speak about tonight. Getting those books was impossible. And some, some are just on the way in. You know, and I think that um, even people like Scholastic got a little bit caught unawares with the Raina. Um, they're bringing in 30,000 copies now, so you should be right for a little while. But, you know, such is the demand. So I think that word is spreading. Anyway, I've got 10 minutes and 10 minutes. I'm starting off with some grown-up books that um, if you're a secondary uh, librarian or teacher, you might be interested in. Um, you know this story. You know this story very well. Um, this is uh, Richard Harris and, um, and Craig Challen, uh, Strains of the Year this year. And their story is, is one of the most moving stories I've heard. I've heard them speak about this story, and now they've written, written the book. Um, um, they're two very different personalities. Those personalities come through in the writing. Um, it's an extraordinary story of, of the rescue. You, everyone knows the story, but it, to get the kind of um, into the minds of those rescuers is quite another thing. And uh, they continue to be very moved still by the whole process. They didn't know whether those boys were going to be coming out alive when they went in there to rescue them and they just kept sending them out. They didn't know they would come out alive. It's a really traumatic experience for them as well as for the kids, I suppose. But anyway, that is just brand new out. That's a November publication. So um, no reason why you can't uh, share that with your older secondary readers. Of course, we can't have a, a chat about books without talking about the beautiful Archie Roach autobiography. Um, this is a really, really special uh, memoir. Um, we, most of us are familiar with Archie's uh, story, um, I assume, but uh, it's taken a long time. Um, I had some dealings with Archie some time ago in, in relation to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, and his manager, Jill, talked to me then, probably three or four years ago, a bit longer, actually. It was when um, Penguin Random House were in Camberwell. So that was a while ago now, um, about writing Archie's story because it is so extraordinary. And he has um, so, so much to offer in terms of, um, you know, the stolen generation, his music, his relationship with Ruby Hunter, which was just beautiful. Um, great photos, great um, 
uh, interesting story to tell. I, I don't know what else to say about Archie's story because um, it's a really important one and uh, we should be sharing it with um, older readers who can manage something like that. I've gone quirky for this one. Um, Word, of the Dog, Word of Dog. This is a really unusual book, but I've included it because I feel it, it's like um, these illustrations of, of, of the artwork with these dogs. It's, it's the comments in the text is in from the perspective of the dog. So it's like someone's put a mask on and, and talked, but not it's not coming from a personal space, it's coming from the dog. Does this make any sense? <coughs> Probably not. But I quite liked the idea that, that for some of them it was just um, a line. So this dog is, I'm not lost, I'm exploring my boundaries. I thought that some of these things would make really good prompts for writing exercises actually. Um, here's Lizzie. Never sleep past 11am is your secret to success. Won't leave home without lucky undies. Uh, house rule, no smartphones in the toilet. Cheese or chocolate, just a cider for me, maybe some artfully scattered almonds, reading Kinfolk magazine. What gets my goat is people finishing my sentences. They hardly ever get it right. Why not just let me do it? I'd save a lot of time just saying. So it's, it's kind of cute, it's quirky, but I liked the idea that you could um, you know, use it as a, as a springboard for other um, writing or oral kind of um, activities. Like his meal, he likes robust discussion, can't abide a thoughtlessly brandished exclamation mark, uh, his weakness is finger lines, his proudest moment is scoring an eagle on the 13th at St Andrews, regrets, once packing dried fish with my smalls on a long haul flight from Norway. So, you know, no faces, just dogs, but some really interesting little bits and pieces. Um, Funny Bones, also just out. Um, do you remember the kids' note in books? Mm -hmm. This is the kind of next in format of, of the um, or, uh, idea around raising money for War Child, uh, using a hundred different uh, authors and illustrators that you all all know and love, the kids will know and love. Um, and what I always liked about those kids' note in books was that you could have a really a more graphic kind of story. You could have something that was a little bit more text heavy. You could just have something that was a page of music. So there's something for everyone in a book like that. That's funny. Um, you would all know Susanna McFarlane. You would all know the um, fairy tales for feisty girls. girls. Um, and this is her, um, her new instalment for boys, Bold Tales for Bravehearted Boys. So same format, different illustrator for every story, and it's a take on some traditional fairy tales with um, heroic boy characters. There's a lot of this kind of book around uh, and stories, how to be extraordinary, uh, extraordinary. Um, this is another one in, the, in that um, kind of long line of, um, of books that have been put out there, but I still really like them and I still think there's room for them. So this one I like because it includes extraordinary people that aren't included in every other book. Um, and it's a really interesting and diverse selection of, of, um, of, of people that they're looking at. So obviously some that they, the kids will know, um, some that they won't, and that's probably a nice little discovery. Um, you've probably all seen Dr. Seuss's Horse Museum now, um, and how exciting that it's Andy Joyner. Um, and he's had a terrific with this going to New York to have it launched over there, etc. So it is quite 
sophisticated and quite text heavy, but if you're interested, there are posters over there that you can take home for the library as well. Um, oops, I've included Memfox's The Tiny Star because I'm sure most of you will have read this and most of you will understand the, um, the themes and the significance of those themes. So this book, um, Mem tells the story of this book being written um, when her sister was um, terminally ill. And uh, so it's, it's for her sister and it's incredibly moving but beautifully illustrated by Freya Blackwood. And um, I just love the colour palette of the illustrations. I love the idea that this um, motif here just continues on as a motif throughout the story. So it'll appear as the rug on the babe for the baby that the baby's wrapped in. And it'll appear somewhere on a cushion or a... Um, but there's just, I guess what I'm saying is there's so many layers to this book. It could be just read as a simple book about um, the life cycle, you know, and love and loss and happy families and sadness and all of those things. Or it could be talked about on a much more sophisticated level in terms of visual literacy, um, those, you know, significant themes of grief and, and loss. Um, but also of hope and that last um, uh, picture in the book where they're all sitting on the roof and the stars are out. It's just very peaceful and beautiful. I just adore this book. It's beautiful. Something completely different. A banana is a banana. I don't know if you've had a chance to see this one yet. Um, a banana is a banana is a song that Justine Clark um, sings and Heath McKenzie contacted um, Justine and said, I reckon that song would make a good book. And she agreed. And he said, and I'll do the illustrations for you. Mm -hmm. So um, Justine roped in Josh, Josh Pike, who most of you will know is a, um, as a singer. And together they've done this book, A Banana is a Banana. And it's lots of fun. But it also, you could have lots of fun with this because it asks all those very um, philosophical, questions about, you know, is, a, is an eggplant, uh, if an eggplant really grew eggs, chickens would be out of a job. You know, if a catfish was really made of cats, then it might get chased by a dog. There's, you, again, could it be just a really good fun read, or you could look a little bit deeper into that and have a good conversation about the things that kids get a little bit kind of bamboozled about in terms of taking things more literally. Um, there's, uh, Justine and Josh are out and about over the next month and if you hear, there's a trailer that Penguin Random House is putting out, if you hear them singing together, it's great. It's really, really good and I have a lot of fun with it. And this one, What is a Refugee? I really like this one. Again, um, you know, there's, there's books out and about, I know that, on this topic, but I like this quite simple approach of putting everything into perspective. Um, a refugee is a person just like you and me simple. Um, refugees had to flee their country because they were in danger. It just, it just, the simplicity of this really makes a lot of sense to me and that the kids will readily understand what the book is trying to do, and that repeated theme of just like you and me. And then um, to have at the end some famous refugees that they won't even think about as being refugees. 
again puts it all into into perspective. I reckon I went under time. <laughs> do you really want to know what I do? <coughs> Just over. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> you should have stopped me. Oh, no. Anyway, I'm stop you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. You're <coughs> if I could thank our four wonderful speakers, all oh, fantastic. If I can thank Anna for letting us come. Letting us come last minute to Anna Rebecca coming and for supporting the reading forums this year and I do hope to see you all again next year and at that November conference. If you haven't signed up for that, do so quickly. There's almost no room left. It's going to be wonderful. Um, please have a coffee or anything if you'd like before you leave. Browse the bookshop again. These look fascinating, the tubs down here, so do take a look and thank you.